This is Inside Politics. I'm Steve Harrison. On this episode, the politics of abortion and how it relates to North Carolina's U.S. Senate race. While Republican nominee Ted Budd is not speaking out on the issue, Democratic nominee Sherry Beasley certainly is, in commercials and on the campaign trail. Is Ted one who believes in an absolute ban on abortion, even in the case of rape, incest, or risk to a mother's health? And I know we were all taught that actions speak louder than words. And he just doesn't speak for us. Because this bud is not for you. That was Beasley at a campaign stop in Wadesboro. And on this episode, we'll also address abortion and state legislative races. Our guests are Democratic State Senator Natasha Marcus of Mecklenburg County and Doug High, a former spokesman for the Republican National Committee and a veteran of several North Carolina campaigns. As always, I'm joined with co-hosts Jim Morrill and Tim Funk. Hey, guys. Hey, Steve. We are going to be talking about abortion in this episode. What's on y'all's mind? And and, and I guess how much do you guys think this has really changed the uh, November election? You know, I think a lot of Democrats want to make the midterms about abortion, but it's almost become a political truism that it's the economy stupid, as Bill Clinton's campaign chief James Carville said years ago. But given all the recent publicity about the uh, former president, I think the Democrats have a better chance of making uh, this an election of choice between Biden and his party and Donald Trump and his. It's usually a referendum on who's in power. Well, I think definitely as a Supreme Court, when they overturned Roe v. Wade uh, back in June, changed the landscape of the of politics this year. And, you know, and then again, what happened in Kansas when voters rejected a move to take abortion protection out of out of the state constitution that really energized Democrats, I think, there and across the country. Uh, the question is, can it be replicated here or anyplace else? Yeah, Jim, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, the Kansas vote, the outcome maybe wasn't a surprise, but the margin really was getting nearly 59 percent to keep abortion rights in the state constitution. And then even since then, there have been a couple other votes that people have pointed to. Washington state had its primary, an open primary for the U.S. Senate seat. Republicans and Democrats wanted to run together. Patty Murray, the Democrat, kind of got the same margin she did in 2016 if it was going to be a really bad year for Democrats, you would expect that to fall. Um, and the other one, there was a special election for a, a House seat in Minnesota that was a, a a seat Donald Trump won by 10 points. And the Republican won it by only by four. So I do think that there is starting to be a case that this issue is turning out and energizing Democratic voters. I want to know from maybe from Doug Hike and tell us how Republicans see the abortion issue. Now, they used to be very quick to say they were pro-life. But maybe because of the Kansas vote, which surprised everybody, they've really gone silent on this issue, including Ted Butt. Yeah, I think they're, I think Democrats are talking not just about abortion, but putting it in the context of calling Republicans extreme on a lot of things, uh, abortion being one. And that's a new tagline that they've been using recently. So it remains to be seen. I mean, I think the abortion issue can cut both ways. It could energize Democrats. It could also energize conservatives in North Carolina and get, and get the Republican vote out. Next, we have Republican strategist Doug High, a former spokesman for the Republican National Committee. He's now a frequent political analyst for Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC, and he knows North Carolina well. He's a Winston-Salem native, worked three Senate races in the state for Jesse Helms, Locke Faircloth, and Richard Burr, and served for a time as Senator Burr's spokesman in Washington. Welcome, Doug High. 
Thank you. It's good to be with you. Doug, judging from their $32 million worth of ads running around the country, Democrats now want to talk about abortion in this election year. Mm-hmm. What about Republicans? What would you advise Senate candidate Ted Budd and other North Carolina Republicans to focus on in these midterm elections? I would tell Bud or anyone else who's running, you know, number one, make sure that you have your answer on abortion down, that you don't waver from it, and that you don't fall into the trap that, you know, several Republican candidates have in the past of not just saying something stupid, but saying something that is stupid and offensive. Um, and so if you look at the Senate races in, in past cycles in Missouri with Todd Aiken or in Indiana with Richard Murdoch, those were extremely winnable races and races that Republicans should have won, you know, would have been close, but ultimately should have prevailed on Election Day. And instead, we had candidates who talked about whether or not women could get pregnant during rape, um, whether or not it was a legitimate rape, whatever that term means. And it caused those candidates not only to lose um, and really proactively drive away support from women, caused candidates in other states to have to respond to, you know, what somebody in a, in a different state said. We've gotten to a point where, you know, Tip O'Neill used to say all politics are local, and now it's that all politics are national. And if one candidate says something uh, on a radio interview or a cable news interview, uh, it's quite likely that that a candidate in a different state for a different office uh, may be asked about it. And so, you know, moving forward now to 2022, you know, something that a Doug Mastriano may say uh, is going to cause questions for a Ted Butt, uh, may cause questions for other candidates in, in other states, whether it's for governor or for Senate or what have you. So have your answer down and don't make mistakes. Two, focus on those issues that brought you into the race in the first place and those things that have, have put Joe Biden's approval rating you know, in the really precariously low uh, number that they're at. And again, that's the economy, that's rising crime, uh, and the situation at the border, I would say, are one, two, three. In his first general election ad, we do see Ted Budd in a grocery store blaming mm-hmm. President Biden for inflation and recession. But the Democrats have cast Budd in another ad in which they say he wants to outlaw abortion with no exceptions for rape and incest. The ad even claims Bud wants to throw doctors in jail. So what sh- mm-hmm. should Bud respond to this ad? What should his response be? His message should be clear and consistent on what he would like to do and how that would then be implemented. That includes the issue of rape and incest and certainly the issue of um, you know doctors um, potentially being jailed. The, the issue of abortion is a very complicated one um, for a lot of reasons, but politically... You know, polling on abortion can reflect whatever somebody wants to see in it. And what I mean by that is the public is broadly supportive of Roe versus Wade until you ask details. And then they um, view abortion less favorably. Um, They want certain restrictions put in, time limits and things like that, even though they broadly support Roe versus Wade. And this is where messages on abortion can get muddled very quickly, especially as both parties have moved to the extreme. Um, for Bud, he needs to make it clear to those suburban women, um, you know, that he's not going to throw them in jail, their doctor in jail, um, and be clear and consistent with with what his positioning is. And where this potentially hurts Republicans, whether it's Bud or others, are with suburban, educated, and independent, meaning you know, registered as an independent um, voter. With those folks, there probably needs to be more of a genuine screw up, like a Todd Aiken, like a Richard Murdoch. Um, that would be the driving force on this. 
But as you have trigger laws and things like that that are keeping this from the um, in practice mode as opposed to being in theory, um, that's where it has you know a potential impact. And with that, um, what we're seeing an increased um, voter registration uh, from women. So a lot of Republicans are just saying nothing. There was a time when even in general election campaigns, Republican candidates were quick to say they were pro-life. I wonder if you think the surprising results in Kansas uh, have changed the political calculus for them in terms of talking about the subject. Should they talk about it? Um, No, they should focus on those three issues um, that are affecting every voter in their state, in their district, you know, every day. Mm -hmm. Inflation, number one. Right. So even with gas, gas prices having fallen, you know, over the past couple months, they're still you know, more than 50% higher than they were a year and a half ago. So families are still paying more every time they go to the pump. And they're spending more every time they go to, you know, the grocery store, a restaurant, the mall, you know, everything they're buying is more expensive and quantifiably so. I, I wouldn't advise, you know, um, Bud or anyone else to necessarily proactively put something out there. Um, but they do need to be um, ready with the response when asked about it. Um, and certainly if there's a debate, And, you know, those things are in question now more than they used to be as to whether or not there'll be debates. And, you know, in this race and other races as well, it's going to come up and they're going to need to have a good answer. Because if you don't, that's where one of those screw ups happens where a Todd Aiken or Richard Murdoch reframes their race negatively immediately and also causes problems in in other races as well. So let me uh, ask you about inflation for a second. We're talking right here now just past mid-August. Gas prices have fallen to a national average of $3.95 per gallon. And President Biden just signed a new law called the Inflation Reduction Act. So are you sure the economy is a dependable enough issue to usher in a red wave for Republicans? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, as most uh, you know, analysis, uh, analyses on this have, have shown, doesn't do anything really to um, reduce inflation. It's a great name, um, but, a, but a misnomer. Um, sure, gas prices have fallen, but um, if you're you know, looking at what you want to do for a vacation um, over the summer, it's had a very real impact on you and is still having a real impact on you, right? It's not as terrible as it was two months ago. It's still really bad. Everything is more expensive, and it is the number one thing I hear from voters you know, here in Washington, in North Carolina, when I was in Missouri, um, and folks I'm talking mm-hmm. to throughout the country. It's issue number one and very, very much so. The National Democrats are warning that if Republicans take back control of Congress, they will be pressured by their base, especially Christian evangelicals, to vote for a national ban on abortion. Do you doubt that would happen, the pressure? And as you say, if one Republican says it, then all of them have to answer for it. Republicans need to decide if they're the party they've always said they are, meaning the party of federalism. Um, that these are decisions that should be made on a state-by-state basis. And, you know, surprise, surprise, there are some Republicans who don't, um, who want to push for a national ban. There are some Republicans who say, this is what we always talked about and how it should be, that it's a decision that's made in Kansas. It's a decision that's made in North Carolina, you know, and, and on down the line. Certainly Democrats, you know, as they try and rile up their base, Republicans pushing a national ban um, is something that's going to be salient you know, to their voters for turnout. I also wonder if can talk about abortion too much. Uh, Most voters, they don't want to talk about this issue. And it's one that doesn't 
affect them personally on a day-to-day basis the way that um, inflation does, the way that even even rising crime does, um, where you're seeing crime statistics every day, even if it hasn't directly impacted you. You find, you hear of a friend who got carjacked or mugged or, you know, you just watch your local news. Um, And so, you know, they run the risk of doing this um, at the exclusion of Democrats do, of having answers on those other questions that they need answers on. Again, inflation, I just can't overstate it enough on what an important issue it is for voters right now. Uh, Midterms are traditionally a referendum on the party and president in power. Uh, Are you concerned that the fallout from the Mar-a-Lago search and other investigations of former President Trump will turn this into a choice election between Biden and his party versus Trump and his? And how will that turn out? Well, I've I've been concerned for a while that the person who can distract away from the top issues of otherwise in the minds of voters at the whim of, you know, anytime he wants to is Donald Trump. I think a good example of that was, you know, earlier this week. The president signed, you know, the the Inflation Reduction Act, and it didn't get a whole lot of attention, right? And this was, you know, to kind of use Joe Biden's parlance in the past, this was a big deal for this administration. And the White House had trouble breaking through on its message because we were talking about Donald Trump again. Um, And so, you know, that to me um, is a risk. And the other risk isn't necessarily Donald Trump and the raid and what that has done as far as making it a choice election. It's the candidates who have by and large emerged from a lot of these primaries who are taking very winnable seats and putting them in jeopardy or making them a lot closer than they should be. And if, you know, come November, we we look back at what might be a disappointing uh, election for Republicans, especially compared to what we thought, you know, two months ago, certainly four months ago, um, that there you're going to see, it's going to be interesting to see how the finger pointing happens. And just, um, we've nominated a lot of bad candidates who can lose, a lot of whom are Trump supported. Um, and we're running the risk, Republicans are, of limiting their own success by people that we've nominated. And it's one of the concerns that Mitch McConnell's had and has been pretty vocal on. Um, in addition to the previous two you know, candidates, uh, Todd Aiken and Richard Murdoch, you know, in 2010, we nominated Sharon Engel, who was not going to beat Harry Reid. We nominated uh, Christine O'Donnell in Delaware, who was not going to beat Chris Coons. And not only were they not going to win, they weren't going to make it close. So if you're McConnell, you're very cognizant of the fact that Republicans have left four Senate seats on the table that should have been theirs uh, in a 12-year, in a 10-year period, and you don't want to do that again. And so that's a part of the challenge in this Trumpified GOP is... And, and we know this, that, you know, the, the primary voter is a more kind of extreme version of the party, right? The Democratic primary voter is more you know, liberal. The Republican primary voter is more conservative, though I would say that's more of, of like a Trump acolyte than it is a set of conservative policies. But that puts candidates out there who are more susceptible to lose. And that's a big concern. Let me wrap up with two last questions here, Doug. You mentioned uh, how Republicans now every Republican has to answer for the craziest thing another Republican said. I think the Democrats could identify with that in 2020. Uh, some of them got beat because a few Democrats were mentioning defund the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, this year, you have defund the FBI. Are you worried that uh, some of your Republicans might have to defend something like that? 
Yeah, without question. And not only will they, you know, have to answer questions about it, but it also takes away what had been a very salient issue um, for Republicans on this. And, you know, Biden was very quick on this um, and said, absolutely not. Defund the police is going nowhere. Nancy Pelosi said the same thing. But enough of the younger Democratic members who get a lot of attention um, have pushed have pushed that message aggressively. So to see, you know, some Republicans, not all of them, but you don't need all of them. You just need enough who get attention to say defund the FBI, destroy the FBI and things like that. Elected Republican officials, uh, not just your kind of garden variety activists, it makes it will make other Republicans have to address those issues. And again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, not talking about what they want to talk about, but it also takes away what would have been very potent for Republicans in campaigning against Democrats at a time when we're seeing, you know, crime and violent crime rise. Let me end with a question about your native state. Uh, why is the North Carolina Senate race so rarely mentioned in national political discussions? All the talk seems to be about Georgia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Arizona. The polls here say that the Ted Budd, Sherry Beasley race is close, if you believe the polls. Yeah, um, and I think it is close. Um, and, and part of that is there are not a lot of undecided voters, or at least there are, there are fewer undecided voters now than, than there typically um, have been in, you know, in past years. And, um, you know, going back generations, we just more people make up their mind earlier. They're red or they're blue and, and that's it, right? There aren't any Jim Grahams running in North Carolina on the Democratic side anymore and not a lot of Jim Holzhausers on the Republican side. North Carolina races haven't gotten a lot of attention in a long time. and you know, I would say almost since, you know, Jesse Helms last ran for reelection in 96, um, have Republican races really gotten that national attention that other states do. And when I worked for, for Burr in 2004, we wanted to get a lot of national attention. You know, it, it's good for fundraising. Um, it's good to, you know, send messages back to Washington, D.C., to the Republican Senatorial Committee that, you're, you know, you're running a good, smart campaign and, and, you know, in a visible way that they can see it in a way that they don't if it's on, you know, WSOC or WRAL or what have you. Um, and so because, you know, Ted Budd isn't Madison Cawthorn, um, it's not getting that kind of attention in a way that Madison Cawthorn did, you know, in his congressional primary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I expect that this race will remain close you know, through through election day. And most of the North Carolina Senate races, you know, for years and years now have been pretty close affairs. Well, Doug, hi. Thanks for agreeing to talk with us and our listeners. Happy to. Anytime. Thank you. Democrat Natasha Marcus of Davidson is in her second term in the state Senate. This spring, she introduced legislation to codify abortion rights protections in North Carolina, although it's stuck in committee. She's now running in what's considered a safe Democratic district after first being gerrymandered out of her seat. Senator Marcus, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, After the Supreme Court decision on abortion leaked in early May, you introduced a bill in the Senate to codify the protections in Roe v. Wade, even though it was essentially dead on arrival in a Republican-controlled General Assembly. Why did you do it? I actually filed the bill before the Roe decision leaked because we were anticipating that this might happen, given the Trump appointees to the Supreme Court. 
We know that the Supreme Court has gone way off the rails, uh, is not at all reflective of public opinion in, in the United States. Uh, the public generally supports the rules set out in Roe v. Wade, uh, establishing a constitutional right to an abortion up to the point of fetal viability, um, and only thereafter in rare cases uh, that are medically necessary. Well, uh, this month we saw Kansas voters overwhelmingly pass a referendum to keep abortion protections in their state constitution. Do you think the issue will spur similar turnout here in North Carolina? I certainly hope so. From what I have seen, there have been many, many rallies. I myself have spoken at three already. Um, The rallies keep happening. People are angry about what's happening to our constitutional rights. It's unprecedented that a decision like Dobbs comes out and overturns decades of established court precedent and eliminates an established constitutional right. Uh, We are literally going backwards and people are angry. Um, They're scared. They do not want to live in uh, what feels like a police state to women where our bodies are considered public property, where we can be forced to get pregnant and then forced to give birth, carrying even non-viable fetuses um, or medically risky pregnancies. Um, We don't want a United States like that. We don't want a North Carolina like that. And I think Kansas showed that I am speaking for the majority of Americans, for the majority of North Carolinians. I've seen recent polling that shows approximately 55% of North Carolinians, that's Republicans as well, think that the, that the status quo as we have now, where abortion is legal up to the point of viability and only thereafter in rare medical necessity cases, is the right balance. You know, there's a reason that Roe has been the law in North Carolina and in America since the 1970s, and that's because it's a workable, reasonable compromise on a very divisive subject. Let's talk about how that translates into the General Assembly races. Republicans, as you know, are confident of regaining their supermajorities in both the House and the Senate this year. And if they did that, that would negate Governor Cooper's ability to veto legislation. How successful do you think Democrats are in letting voters know the stakes of these races? We're working very hard to make sure people understand that. I think there, up until this Dobbs decision, there was a sense that uh, abortion rights were established, and that wasn't that anyone who said otherwise was being an alarmist. Well, now we know that there was cause for concern, and there is cause for concern. And we, as Democrats here in the state of North Carolina, are trying very hard to make sure that voters understand how close we are to having an abortion ban here in North Carolina. Two seats in the North Carolina Senate, or three in the North Carolina House, is all they need to enact what we think they are going to try to enact, a total abortion ban, or at at the very least, a very early ban, maybe a six-week ban. That's before most people even know they're pregnant, even before they could know they're pregnant in many cases. And we should not assume that that won't happen in North Carolina because that's what they're gunning for. That's what they've promised. That's what they've threatened. Um, and that's what they'll do if they get the power to do it. And you talked about uh, uh, Representative Bud in the Senate race. Turnout, obviously, is a key to that. And uh, do you think Democrat Sherry Beasley, who's running against Representative Bud, has been vocal enough on the issue about abortion to energize voters? 
I know that she is strongly in support of choice, upholds the importance of Roe v. Wade. I don't follow her around on the campaign trail to know how often she talks about this. My expectation is it is something that comes up often because I know voters are asking about it. But because we know where she stands, uh, maybe she's talking about other issues from a, on a day-to-day basis. I'm not sure. Um, but I know that I trust her to protect a woman's right to choose and make sure that we don't have prosecutors and politicians in the exam room with with doctors and pregnant people making those choices. She understands that we cannot get to a state where we have doctors afraid to practice medicine and women afraid to get pregnant for fear that if they have a miscarriage, they'll be criminalized, or if they give what they think is appropriate care, that they will be criminalized. Sherry Beasley understands that, and she doesn't want us to go there. Uh, you know, we do not have any Black women in the U.S. Senate right now. And not only would she add that needed diversity, but she's so smart and she's so principled uh, and she's not a politician. She comes from a different background. And I think she's exactly what North Carolina needs. You, you talked about how close Republicans are to take, getting super majorities in the election this fall. What do you think is the most likely thing? What are the most likely things they might do regarding abortion if they do get a supermajority, do you think? I've been listening to what they say. Phil Berger, President Pro Tem of the North Carolina Senate, um, has said that he would like to look at abortion law in North Carolina with a clean slate. In other words, erase any expectations that women may have come to have under under previous laws and under Roe v. Wade, and just start with a clean slate. That's terrifying to me to hear him say that. Um, Speaker Moore in the House has said that he he would support probably a six-week ban, and that he might consider um, some exceptions for rape and incest, that that might be reasonable. But what he said, very telling, is that he would like to talk with and listen to the women in his caucus and see what they think just the women in his caucus. So just female Republicans. He didn't say he'd like to hear from women from the state of North Carolina or even all the women in the House, not the Democrats. He only wants to talk to the the Republican women and see what they think the law should be for all of North Carolina. I caution him and other Republican legislators to take the lead of someone like Mark Robinson or or others um, to be so wrapped up in their small echo chamber of far right wing ideology, where there are often very few women, by the way, very few young people, because if they think abortion bans are popular, they're wrong. Given what you just said, and given the stakes in the election, don't you think the issue will also energize Republican voters? I wonder about that. I think we're in a situation where the dog has caught the car, doesn't know what to do with it. They've promised for so long, they've claimed that they're and that they are on the side of quote pro-life. But now we need to force them to really think about the situations that they are going to cause. That 10-year-old girl who was the victim of incest, who was going to be forced under the Ohio law to carry that pregnancy to term and give birth at 10 years old. Is that really the morality? Is that a high moral ground? Is that really what Republican voters want? I think we're going to have to make sure we make it clear what an abortion ban really means. There are a lot of reasons why people need abortions. To say we're just going to ban it all because that's somehow more moral, when 
by the way, we don't address the, the underlying reasons why people seek abortion. Um, to me, it is not truly, quote, pro-life to just ban abortion and not address all the other things um, that cause the need for abortion, poverty, lack of insurance, lack of affordable health care and child care. Uh, access to affordable birth control, accurate sex education, you know, so many things that we could address, um, but they're not willing to address. They don't do it. And instead, they just want to ban abortion and control women's bodies and get in that exam room with women and dictate what we need to do. You know, you've probably seen the ad from the Democratic Senate Majority PAC on behalf of Sherry Beasley in the Senate race. And Governor Cooper and other Democrats have talked about the importance of this year's legislative races. Do you think they're doing enough um, in terms of funding or other ways to help candidates for the General Assembly, Democratic candidates? We always all need more money. And that's because so many voters are checked out of this process. They think all politicians are the same um, and they're not going to vote unless we remind them how important these issues are. Media time is expensive. Um, and it's just very expensive to reach voters, but we're all working as a team. I know Governor Cooper knows how important it is to maintain um, the seats we have in the North Carolina Senate and House to make sure we can sustain his veto so that if those uh, Republicans in the legislature try to pass some terrible abortion ban that he can veto it and we'll be there to uphold his veto, at least while he's still governor. You know, you're, you're talking about this issue and other Democrats are talking about this issue, but Republicans are talking less about abortion than inflation. So what do you do? What do you say to unaffiliated and even Republican voters in the suburbs, such as those in Nor North Mecklenburg County, whose main concern is the price of gas and groceries? Inflation certainly is an issue right now. You know, there's no denying that it's hurting everybody. It's hurting me. It's hurting uh, low-income families the most. And we understand that. But at the same time, they can't pin it all on Biden. This is a, a global situation that we are facing brought on by a global pandemic, um, by China shutting down their ports, um, cutting off supply of oil from Russia because of the war that they started on Ukraine. And, and globalization has created a situation in which um, inflation is tough. But at the same time, I hope people understand that the alternative was to not pump money into our economy. And that would have created a situation where a lot of homeowners wouldn't have been able to pay their mortgage. A lot of apartment dwellers would not have been able to pay their rent. We would have had mass evictions and homelessness. A lot of small businesses would have had to close their doors and probably never reopen, doing much more damage to our economy in the long run. Um, both the Trump and the Biden administrations saw the need to spend in order to get us out of this of the effects of the pandemic and the Russian war and other things. And now we are all unfortunately in a situation where inflation hurts, but the Biden administration is doing everything it can um, and the economy will correct itself. Um, and voting against Democrats in the midterms is not going to fix inflation. It's just going to bring about some really draconian abortion restrictions, um, some terrible environmental policies, I hope that we um, can get that message to voters and that they see it the right way uh, come November. Well, Senator, uh, as you know, national politics is always a factor in midterm elections like this. And even though President Biden's been on a recent string of legislative victories, his poll numbers are still pretty low. Is he a drag on Democrats in North Carolina? Midterm elections are always tough. <laughs> 
You know, there there is just a built-in um, difficulty there when you have a president of your party in a midterm. It just happens every year. It's called the midterm penalty. There's even a name for it, and it's it's a bipartisan penalty. It swings back and forth, and we know that. Um, and that's because President Biden is is the ultimate uh, buck stops here desk. And anytime there's any issue, whether it's his fault or not, um, some voters are going to blame him and his party for it. So we understand that going in. And that's why we're working extra hard um, to get the word out about, you know, in my case, I'm a state legislator. What the Biden administration does has very little to do with what we do at the state level. What we do is decide whether to pay teachers a living wage or not. I say we should. What we do is decide whether to expand Medicaid like almost every other state in the nation has done so that North Carolinians who are working, a, working sometimes more than one job can have access to affordable health care. That's what we do here in North Carolina. We ought to do that. And I hope that voters can separate the, di- the difference between what's happening at the federal level Uh, and what needs to happen here at the state level on abortion rights and all these other issues that we've talked about today. Hey, Senator, let me ask you a final question, uh, not about abortion, but um, after the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago, some Republicans are calling for defunding the FBI and even the Justice Department. Former President Trump is back in the news in a big way. Uh, Which party do you think benefits the most from that here in North Carolina? I don't even think about it that way, Jim, about which party benefits from that. I'm just really worried that we have one of our two major parties here in the United States willing to support a sham artist like Trump and want to defund the FBI. I mean, that is outrageous. The FBI is doing their job to uncover a violation of procedures and and, and principles that we've had in place to protect U.S. secrets and the military. Um, and our operations overseas. And if Trump violated all of that for whatever his reason might have been, I am shocked that we as Americans can't come together and say, that's wrong, former President Trump. And if that's what you did, you deserve to be held accountable for that. And that's just the way I see it. I don't think of it as political advantage for one or the other. This is just important for America that we get to the bottom of this. Well, Senator Natasha Marcus, thank you very much for being with us. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Jim. So that was Natasha Marcus and Doug High on uh, one from the Democratic Party, one from the Republican Party on the issue of abortion. Uh, Jim and Tim, what do you guys think? I think they both sort of encapsulized the arguments for their respective parties. I think uh, Senator Marcus spoke passionately about uh, abortion and why it's important and why it's especially important in a year when, uh, you know, control of the General Assembly is at stake in terms of a supermajority in the General Assembly. And Doug Hyde spoke well about, you know, the dangers of the issue for Republicans and why they should stick to uh, talking about the economy. You know, she got trust. uh, The senator got fired up and uh, really passionate about the issue. I wonder, though, if they're communicating that passion to voters. I mean, the legislature, I mean, the Republicans only need to pick up a couple of seats in each chamber and they can pass whatever they want about abortion. And they're not probably going to talk about what they're going to do ahead of time. So that's left to the Democrats to do it. And I think they're doing it among themselves, but I don't hear, maybe I'm not listening closely enough, but I don't hear Governor Cooper or any of the Democrats out there beating the drum and warning people about this. Yeah, Tim, I think what you said about, um, 
that the Republican leadership hasn't said exactly what they want to do. I think that's important, and I think it does make it a little bit hard for Democrats to give a concise message to voters because there's a uh, there is a big difference between in a lot of voters' minds between a 20 week ban and a six week ban, and we don't know where that's going to be and where that would fall, whether it would be 26 or somewhere in between. So I I do, I do think that makes it harder for state legislative candidates to get that message across. In the Senate race, I do think it's easier for Sherry Beasley to make that point. I was with her in Wadesboro. She did an event. Um, She did not mention it during her initial 15-minute speech, but she did work it into a question and answer period about Ted Budd and noting that he opposes uh, abortion, even no exceptions for for rape and incest. So um, I think easier for Beasley, but the legislative candidates, it's it's a bit of a uh, a tough sell. You know, Senator Marcus talked about the rallies that that we all saw before and after the final road Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court, where people took to the streets. Uh, They they protested um, in Romare Bearden Park and other places in in the area. Um, But as she said, a lot of those people were young people, and young people typically don't vote, and particularly don't vote in off-year elections. So I think it's still an issue of whose side gets more motivated to turn out by this. I think one of the, I think Bud is being smart by talking about inflation because that hits everybody. But I think his strategy of not talking to the press, not debating, not answering the, this ad about abortion could come back and hurt him because uh, in Senate races, I think people still look at the people who are running. I mean, I think in some house races, it's a national wave or, but I think if it's between her and him, if he's silent and he's, people don't know who he is and uh, they know a little bit more about her because she's out there talking to the camera and I'm one of you, but he seems a little bit mysterious to me. And I think that could hurt him in a close race. And Tim, you're really right on his campaign strategy. And if you look at the difference between the Tom Tillis campaign two years ago and the Ted Budd campaign in 2022, I mean, there's just night and day in terms of their engagement with it. The Tillis campaign ran kind of a traditional engagement with national media and local media. And Ted Budd, they just don't. I mean, they did not really engage in the primary, uh, relied on the Trump endorsement, and they're playing it the same way. Just really interesting. I, I think this will be an interesting test case in North Carolina as to uh, how kind of off the grid you can go and still possibly win. Well, one thing that's going to factor in is uh, I think the Republican Senate committee is pledged to spend like $23 million or something, which we haven't seen much of yet. And so that's yet to come and probably in September and October, and that could make a difference no matter what he says. You know, on the Democratic side, I mean, the Senate Majority Pack has done two small ad buys. The first was kind of to counter the claims that Sherry Beasley was weak on crime. That was the first kind of a defensive ad. And then they put out that other one. I think we heard a, a clip from that earlier today uh, about abortion, but there hasn't been any ad buys for the fall after Labor Day. And so the Beasley campaign, you know, on two fronts, they're trying to convince North Carolina voters, and they're trying to convince Washington Democrats that that she can win the seat. I don't know how this drama about former President Trump and Mar-a-Lago, we don't know how that's going to play out, but I don't think it can help Ted Budd. I think at a time when Democrats are trying to cast the whole Republican Party as overtaken by extremists, what we know about Ted Budd is he's uh, Donald Trump's guy. And I think that if Cherry Beasley, I think, needs to get a lot more purposeful and 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 go on the attack and she doesn't seem to want to do that but if she did i think he would uh, he would have to respond 
All right, so that wraps up another edition of Inside Politics, Election 2022. I'm Steve Harrison, along with Jim Morrill and Tim Funk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. (music) 